Hey, good morning, church. Hey, well, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. I, I don't know about you, but I'm really grateful that it is December. I absolutely love this month. Uh, I love Christmas music, I'm not gonna lie, but it's a great time to just rest, recharge, uh, be one with God, and to connect. I, I love this time of year, and I hope that you're able to spend some time with the ones that you love as well. I'm also really low-key excited that 2020 is almost over. Amen. I think we're all ready for a little 2021. Um, but, you know, before we get into the lesson this morning, I do want to firstly say a huge congratulations to Carol and Efren Manuel. They were married on Tuesday uh, this past week at Waikele Country Club. I got to shoot some video for their wedding and it was so fun. So many Filipinos. It was a blast. It was... <laughs> I haven't been around that many Filipinos in a long time. It was awesome. Um, but here's a picture of them. So cool. Huge congratulations, guys. Um, amen. So if you're just joining us for our sermon series, it's entitled, As It Is in Heaven. As It Is in Heaven. Last week, we got an overview of heaven and, and looking forward to that, being, being hopeful and filled with hope of heaven. And I want to read the text in which we kind of get our series title, Inspiration, and it's found here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Turn with me if you can. The Bible reads, and Jesus is saying, he's teaching his disciples how to pray, and he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. Kingdom. It's an interesting word, isn't it? I mean, it's kind of a buzzword in our fellowship. You hear that quite a bit. Some of us may have heard that term a lot. Maybe if you've grown up in the church or you've been a disciple for many, many years, uh, you may have heard that. Um, you may have done a study on the kingdom. We used to have a Bible study called like the kingdom study, right? Um, but a lot of us may not actually or totally understand what the kingdom is or what it's all about. Like maybe you've heard it at a baptism or something. When, when, when someone gets baptized, uh, people are like, hey man, welcome to the kingdom of God. Welcome to the kingdom. And as a matter of fact, and, but as a matter of fact, if I were to ask you what Jesus's main message was when he preached, um, we may get a number of responses. We may get a number of different answers as to what his main message was, right? You know, if I were to ask, it may be like, love your enemies or do to others what you would have done to you, right? The golden rule, maybe love your neighbor as yourself. But if you looked really hard at your Bible, <laughs> and if you, if you looked at what Jesus's main message was when he preached, you might be a little surprised. So if we summarized, if we could summarize Jesus's whole message in a sentence, what would it be? Well, we have the answer to that and the message that he preached, and it's in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. The Bible reads, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Near. You know, in the Gospel of Matthew alone, Jesus talks about the kingdom nearly 50 times. 50 times. So in my Bible, the book of Matthew takes up exactly 30 pages. And yes, I did count in my Bible. 
So that means Jesus speaks about the kingdom on every single page, sometimes more than once on average. It's what he talked about more than anything else. And it was the heartbeat of his entire mission. And so it just begs the question for all of us, like what on earth is the kingdom? Well, to understand what this word kingdom means, you, you really have to go all the way back to the Old Testament in the very beginning. We really have to look at the story of the Bible as a whole. And in a lot of ways, I'm happy that I asked myself that question, like what is the kingdom of heaven? But it also like dug me into a huge rabbit hole of like going through the whole Bible and oh my gosh, so many things. And, and what I hope to do today is to kind of go through the overarching story of the Bible. Take us through the Old Testament, get to where Jesus is, and then kind of like tie it all nicely together in a bow. So hang with me today. We're going to go on a little bit of a journey. Um, but if we want to understand the kingdom, we've got to understand the overarching story of the Bible as a whole. And I hope this is really helpful for you guys. And it's summed up in three words. And here they are. Ready? And it's the title of what we're talking about today. Three words. God with us. God with us. It's this theme that we see over and, and over and over, God dwelling with his people. Like even in the very beginning, in the book of Genesis, in the very beginning, you see this theme. God creates order out of chaos, right? He forms the land and the seas, and then he creates Adam and Eve, and he places them in the Garden of Eden. And God was with them. He was dwelling with them. He walked around. And, and most of us know what happens, right? We know the story of the fall of man and and sin is what really fractures the unity that man once had with God. And you can clearly see this in Genesis 3, verse 8. Let's read that together. Genesis 3, verse 8. See, I got a paper Bible, so it's going to take me like actual time to, to turn there. It may pop up on your screen a little faster than I can get there. Genesis 3, verse 8 says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden of in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. It's interesting, right? You see this, this symmetry. God is walking in the garden in the cool of day. There's, there's this intimate fellowship with, with Adam and with Eve. But as you can see from this scripture, they were already in hiding, right? Like they were already uh, ashamed because of the sin they had committed against God. And so what happens? God is a just God, and so there's, there's penalties for when we do wrong things. I mean, that's just a part of it. They were, they were banished from the garden. They were banished from the garden, but, but more importantly, they were, they were banished from the immediate presence of God. And since that day, since the fall, we as humans have needed to be made right, to be put back into perfect communion with God. And so in Exodus, we see this theme kind of continue. We see God choose to dwell among his people again after he rescues them from Egypt, right? We know Pharaoh, we know Moses, we know how God delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians. He does this in, in the form of what's called the tabernacle after they're, they're out of Egypt. He dwells in this thing called the tabernacle. It's basically like a, a portable temple for, for God to dwell in. And in Exodus chapter 40, the Bible reads, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 
Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So again, this was the whole theme of the Bible. This is the whole theme, that he's God with us, God with his people. But it's a little different now, right? Because, because the sin of man, because of the sin of man, it couldn't be the same as it was in, in the Garden of Eden. You know, only a select few could enter into what was called the Holy of Holies because sin as a whole hadn't been atoned for yet. And God is holy. He doesn't associate with sin. He doesn't have blemishes or anything like that. And so in order to atone for your sin, you needed to make a sacrifice. A sacrifice was necessary. A blood sacrifice of an animal was necessary to pay that penalty of sin. And you couldn't even do that yourself. <laughs> you couldn't even have real personal fellowship with God. I mean, there was, there, was always like, there was always a priest that would need to be the mediator between you and God. So you had a relationship with God, but by proxy of a mediator that was a priest. They would offer, they, they would offer the sacrifice on behalf of you to God. And this process kind of continues for a bit as, as Israel wanders in the desert, right? We know that after they, they, they get out of Egypt, they wander in the desert, and they got that, they got that temple to go kind of thing going on, right? But eventually the Israelites cross over into that promised land that God said they would, and they establish themselves as a nation, like a legitimate nation. And, and what, happens, what happens when humans get, get themselves a little bit of power, a little bit of prominence, a little bit of success? What happens? Oftentimes we, we forget about God and we become self-reliant. And this is no different with the Israelites. In 1 Samuel, the Bible reads, in chapter eight, verse four, it says, so all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are doing to you. This is, the Old Testament, honestly, guys, if I could just say, it, it's kind of sad in a lot of ways, you know? Um, there's highs and lows, but, but it's really, a, it's a story of human sin and what happens to us when we choose to disobey God. And so the Israelites choose a human king, and this guy's name is Saul. Some of us may have heard of him. He's the very first king of Israel to rule over them because they just want to be like all the other nations on earth. They just want to blend in with the other nations, right? And then there's this drama, right? Saul disobeys. He's prideful and he's arrogant. God rejects him as king. And then this little guy named David, literally little, <laughs> becomes king. And he has a son named Solomon who becomes king after David. And Solomon builds what's called the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem in 1 Kings 6. You gotta, you gotta read it. It's, 
It's ornate, it's decadent, it's very specific, and it's commanded. I mean, the Lord commands them to build it a certain way. And so now this temple, this would now be the place in which God would commune with his people in the temple of Israel. This was how God would be with his people, God with us. But what happens is that there's this drama, there's differences and clashes between tribes within Israel. And, and what happens is that the nation actually splits into, into two separate kingdoms, Judah and Israel. And so then we see the Chronicles, literally called First and Second Chronicles, of the many kings of both Israel and Judah. Some good and, and a lot very, very bad, okay, just to sum it up. But eventually what happens is that the Israelites become corrupt ultimately, and they turn away from God. They worship idols. They worship false gods, and, and they're unfaithful to the true God. And eventually, God allows the city of Jerusalem to be destroyed by the Babylonians, another nation, another empire, and the Israelites are, are exiled into this place, into Babylon. And so as the Israelites are exiled in Babylon, the prophet Ezekiel, in a vision, sees something. He sees something in a vision. He sees the glory of the Lord actually leave the temple itself. It leaves the temple. God's presence actually leaves the temple. And where does it go? It goes to Babylon. It's interesting. It follows the faithful remnant of Israelites as they are exiled. And this is important because this was the this was the only connection that the people had to their God. This was how God was with them. But also in an encouraging way, what does this signify that the Lord leaves the temple? I mean, it signifies that God isn't and wasn't limited to a temple or tabernacle, but that he would be with those who are faithful to him. But because the Israelites were now in exile, they don't, they don't know any better. And so they started to wonder and to question as they're in exile, where did he go? Where is our God? Has our God abandoned us? But then we see through the prophets, like Isaiah, right? They're reminded that eventually God will deliver them through a new king, that God is still sovereign. God still reigns and that there's going to be a new king. Even before the Israelites go into exile, we hear of this, this prophecy. We hear of this prophecy from Isaiah that from a virgin, a child will be born. And you know what his name's gonna be? His name will be Emmanuel. And some of us may know what that means. It means God with us, God with us. And so the people, they wait and they wait for this king to arise, to bring them out of their exile. They, they need this new king. They need this new empire, this kingdom. God was no longer in the temple. Where, where would he choose to dwell among us? Where is he going to dwell next? And so now, now we got to fast forward to Jesus. Are you guys still with me here? <laughs> born in a manger, God in the flesh, born as a king, whether people were going to acknowledge it or not. How do we know that Jesus was king? Look over in Luke chapter one, verse 31. The Bible says, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. 
the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So what do we see? Jesus is now, Jesus was now the medium in which God would be with his people. He was the new temple. He was the new tabernacle. And so baby Jesus grows up, right? And his way is prepared by John the Baptist. Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. And then the spirit of God descends onto him like a dove, the Bible says. And he begins his ministry a short while after. And in his ministry, this is what he preached. So now we got to circle back to Matthew chapter 4, right? And Jesus says at the heartbeat of his ministry, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so now we know that the Jews have been waiting for this new king and this new kingdom when Jesus says, so when Jesus says those words, the kingdom of heaven has come near, you better believe that everybody's heads were turned and everybody tuned in because this was, this was everything that they had ever hoped for. This is, this is what they were waiting for. And then Jesus goes around telling people to follow him, right? And I know we studied this passage a couple weeks ago, right, when Jesus calls his first disciples, but it's just funny that I've kind of studied it again because it's like, who does that? Who just goes around telling random people to follow him? I mean, if, if Jesus were in our culture, right, like, in, like you just saw him tell you, tell you to follow him, uh, you'd probably think he's like absolutely crazy. There's, he, he just says, follow me. There's, a, there's an air of presumption in the way that he asks, right? Like, follow me. Like, like, bro, who is this dude walking around like he owns the place? <laughs> Get it? See, we might think it's crazy, but it's this exhilarating message that the kingdom has come near that draws people to Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is near. He, he had this incredible following of people because they were blown away by his teachings and the fact that he could heal diseases. In fact, there was one point where they wanted to crown him and like, overthrow the government. But whenever Jesus healed somebody, he told them to like not talk about it because that wasn't, that wasn't the point of his ministry. It wasn't just to heal people. It was to die for our sins. So here's King Jesus, right? King Jesus. Surely his close circle of friends must be like the ultra religious with their fancy tassels and robes. Nope. I mean, he's chilling with who? He's chilling with tax collectors, the unlovables. He's chilling with Gentiles, Samaritans, those with diseases, dudes with leprosy. The bottom of the social totem pole and the spiritual totem pole, like the outcasts of society. This is, this is the kingdom that Jesus brought. This is Jesus's kingdom. He never once wanted to catapult himself to the top of the religious food chain because his kingdom was not one of serving the self. It was of serving others. Being part of his kingdom was about loving your enemies. Being part of his kingdom was about forgiveness. Being part of his kingdom was about giving to the, to the needy. Being part of his kingdom was about cleaning the inside of the cup, rooting out the issues of your heart. And I will say, side note, God does want a relationship with you. If you're watching right now, he wants a relationship with you, not who you pretend to be. And so Jesus... It's all about what his kingdom is like in Matthew chapters five to seven. He describes in word what his kingdom is like and how we should 
B. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, right? So Jesus is teaching what his kingdom is all about in word. And then you see in, in Matthew chapters eight and nine, what the kingdom is all about in, in practice. Like if you read it, like Jesus himself models this kingdom lifestyle that we're to have like as his followers. Like he, in every sense, Jesus speaks it and then he teaches it and, and then he actually goes out and then he does it. I can follow that guy. I wanna follow that kind of a guy. Oh, you know, the religious people were so irritated by him, right? You know, they were so angry at Jesus because, it, and it ultimately, it led to Jesus being crucified on the cross. This is why, it's not because of his moral teachings, guys. I mean, it's like, I mean, okay, they didn't murder Jesus because of his moral teachings. Like, love your enemies. What? Kill the man. You know, like, that's not, that's not why he was ultimately killed. That's not why they were mad. I mean, they were mad because of this. They were mad because... Jesus brought a kingdom that wasn't physical. It wasn't of this world. It wasn't a radical political movement that would physically bring the Israelites back into some sort of prominence among the known world because that's what they wanted, man. That's what they wanted. They wanted a general to like lead them in rebellion and overthrow this government that they were uh, taken over by and that was the Romans at that time, right? They didn't, Jesus didn't meet their expectations of what they thought a Messiah should be. Jesus was absolutely the fulfillment of the law, but not in the way that the Pharisees wanted. In fact, in Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, the Bible reads once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the, kingdom of, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God is in your midst. There's other translations that say the kingdom of God is within you. And they must have been like, bro, you've got to be kidding me with this Jesus guy. You've got to be joking with him. I mean, they truly despise him, right? Because they try to trap him so many times, but they always failed. And so they ultimately plotted to, to kill him. And Jesus obviously knew about this, so he started preparing his disciples for his departure. I hope you guys are still with me because I promise we're gonna get there, all right? Look at John 14. We read this. We read the beginning of this, of this chapter last week, and we're gonna continue in this passage because at this point in the story, Jesus has already predicted his death, and he's predicted his betrayal, like people were gonna betray him. And so what do the disciples feel like? I mean, they're told that they're their Lord is gonna leave after three years of being with them. And what did the disciples feel? Well, they feel, that, they feel the exact same way that the Israelites did when they were exiled. Is the Lord gonna leave us? <laughs> Where's he gonna go? What's gonna happen? It's gonna happen to us. And so Jesus comforts his disciples in chapter 14. And I highly encourage you to read it because it's just so full of love and, and promises and, and truth. You, you've got to read the whole thing, but it all culminates into what I believe may be the most important promise from Jesus to his disciples. And in John 14, starting in verse 16, the Bible reads, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you. How long? Forever the spirit of truth, 
The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit here. He even says in chapter 16 later on that it's better that, if, that Jesus leaves because if he doesn't leave, the Spirit of God won't come to us. It's better that he leaves. And so Jesus is crucified. He chooses to sacrifice himself on the cross. And he becomes, he becomes that lamb, that blood sacrifice the eternal sacrifice for the sin of, of mankind. There's no, there's no more need for a blood sacrifice of an animal because Jesus, he was a spotless, sinless man. There's no need to have a mediator between us and God. He fulfilled all of the prophecies in the Old Testament and he defeated death by resurrecting on the third day. You guys still with me? We're, we're almost there. I promise you it's gonna tie together. Jesus rises from the dead and before he ascends into heaven, he actually spends 40 days with his disciples. Uh, doing what? Well, teaching about the kingdom of God, of course, right? Acts chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible says, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so fast forward a little bit. And on the day of Pentecost, what happens? Acts chapter two, the spirit of God fills the room fills the disciples and Peter preaches to the masses about Jesus and his kingdom. And in line with what Jesus teaches, he says, hey, in order to be in Jesus' kingdom, you gotta do a couple things, man. He says, one, you gotta hear the word. You've got to hear it. Then you've gotta repent, just like Jesus preached. And then in John 3, he says, you've gotta be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And then you're gonna receive this gift, this wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit. And over 3,000 people are added that day. And here's where we tie everything together <laughs> from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Because God was with Adam and Eve. He was with his people in the tabernacle. He was with them in the temple. He lived on this earth through Jesus. And I know it's taken a while to get here and I've, I've just wanted to shout it out this entire time, but but through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, God now lives in us. We are the temple of the living God. This is God with us. In Jesus' kingdom, we have an unblocked, unfettered connection with our creator. And it all goes, and it comes back full circle to the first scripture we read this morning in Matthew 6, 10. And the author, N.T. Wright, puts it so well. 
says the resurrection of Jesus launched God's new creation upon the world, beginning to fulfill the prayer Jesus taught his followers that God's kingdom would come on earth as is in heaven. This, this is amazing. We are the fulfillment of this prayer. And we need to continue to fulfill that prayer, continue the work of the Spirit to bring the kingdom here to earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God doesn't dwell in a building. It's in each and every one of us. You are the kingdom. You are a child of God. If you've made Jesus Lord, you are a representative of Jesus. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You're an ambassador for Christ. But even even more, the Bible says that we are co-heirs with Christ, that you've been chosen out of this world. You are set apart, God, with us. And so for the dozens and dozens of you who have made Jesus Lord this year, welcome to the kingdom. For those who have not yet made Jesus Lord, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you, like Matthew 6.33 talks about, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then I want to speak to those of us who have been in the faith for a while, but may need this reminder. God is still with you. God has not abandoned you. And for a lot of us this year, it was a wake-up call for our faith, right? It exposed a lot of the anxiety, the, the worry, and the, the sin, the pride that may have been buried deep within our hearts. But please, Please throw away whatever power you're trying to draw from the flesh. And please renew your confidence in the Lord because he is, he's still with you. And please let that hope fuel you because we do have a hope in heaven and we do have a home in heaven. So let it fuel you here on earth because we're here for a reason, yo. Like, I mean, we have a calling and as Jesus' kingdom we still have a mission to fulfill. Like I get it's really important to, to, to think about the hope of the afterlife, which is great hope. But that hope needs to fuel us to continue the mission of God's kingdom today. And this is Jesus' commission to us as disciples, right? To go and to make other disciples to spread the kingdom like yeast permeates through the dough to go into all the world and make followers of Jesus, to preach the good news, to baptize them and to teach them to obey. So bring that gospel of the kingdom to the ends of the earth. Bring the gospel of the kingdom wherever your sphere of influence is. And you gotta love what Jesus promises to us, right? He says, surely I am what? With you. <laughs> God with us, man, like, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ today, then, then you're in the kingdom of heaven today. Like, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're in the kingdom. Like, do you get that? If you're a disciple, you are in the kingdom. So please, like, live like it. Live like it, guys. As we conclude, I mean, the Bible isn't just some writings thrown together. It's not a bunch of stories randomly put in, into a book. It's not, it's not an assortment of good teachings. It is a beautifully 
constructed, inspired, divine, harmonious, glorious narrative of God with us. This is an overview of the story of the Bible, a very brief, abbreviated, 35 to 40 minute overview of the plan of God for humankind, okay? So please, like, (laughs) I hope this inspires you to do your own Bible study about God, about the Bible, about his plan for you, about his plan for the earth to bring his heavenly kingdom down here to us on earth. You know, we had Ohana group this past week, and it was really cool. We got to just talk a little bit about heaven and what it's going to be like. And, uh, you know, Auntie Brenda Heron is a part of that, our big Ohana group. It was on Zoom, and she had just, she's just gone through another surgery uh, not too long ago. And some of us were asking how she was feeling, how she was doing, you know, what she, what she needed prayer for. And, and her response was amazing. She just said, I don't know how I'm still here, but God must have me here for a reason. He's not done with me yet. No, he is not, Auntie Brenda. He's not done. He's not done with any one of us. While we are here, we need to spread the kingdom, the kingdom that Jesus has brought down for you and me, the kingdom that is literally God with us, that lives inside of you and me. The kingdom is not a building. It's not a structure. The kingdom is souls. What can we take from this? One, if you haven't made Jesus your Lord yet, make it your goal to do so by either the end of this year or in 2021. Make Jesus Lord. If you're a disciple, what can you take from this? Be comforted today, first and foremost, by the hope that you have that God dwells in you that all of those promises that God says in his word about those who have the the deposit of the Holy Spirit, be excited and be hopeful in that, that God dwells in you. Let Let it calm you guys. Let it comfort you and give you a peace after a very, very long year. And secondly, for those who are disciples, let this reminder that God dwells in you invigorate you and motivate you going into 2021, because you are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. You are his representative. I was talking with a brother about that, and the first word that I was thinking, I was like, God, this is an honor. <laughs> like, What an honor and, and what a privilege, and indeed it is. Do not forget that the kingdom is within you. You have the life-saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. You have the life-changing and the life preserving Holy Spirit of the Almighty God and the promise that Jesus will be with you to the very end of the age that God is for you. We as a church, we must bring this message of the gospel to those around us. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise Jehovah Jireh. However you want to say it. God, God with us. God with us. It's pretty awesome. Love you guys.